Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Today on the podcast, a good friend of mine, Joe Seahigh. He's a podcaster. He's out of Texas. I've known him for some time. He's got a banging podcast. Joe, welcome to the show. I have to say, Glenn, this is the highlight of my career. I've been waiting for the call. And when you called, I got butterflies. I just, I'm so happy. Well, I'm so, I'm just, you know, I'm here to make dreams come true. What can I say? Uh, But uh, for those out there wondering uh, why have I got uh, an American on the show, uh, I'm thinking, why not? I think it's very important that we learn from other people's perspectives, even though if they're wrong, joking, joking. Um, (laughs) You're not going to be the first person to say that. So, that's no, that's fine. right. Joe's got a podcast, Stacking Benjamins. Uh, he's just celebrated 1,000 episodes. Uh, so, are you ready to have a chat to us today, Joe? Let's do it. I can't wait. All right, Joe, thank you so much. And on behalf of My Millennial Money and the listeners, Thank you for joining us today on the show. Can you start by just telling us a little bit about your podcast and your background, both professionally and what the hell personally as well? (laughs) (laughs) All the above. I have had a podcast now for nine years. It seems like just a few days, but uh, but Stacking Benjamins is nine years old. Of course, that's stacking $100 American bills. And uh, we, we call it the greatest money show on earth, Glenn, because as you know, from being on it, it is meant to be a three-ring circus. Uh, we don't try to be the last word in personal finance. We want to be uh, our listeners' first word. We want to introduce them to cool people like you, who we have talked to and uh, vetted. And we try to bring up as many different financial topics as possible as we can get into an hour show. And we do that three days a week. So we talk to uh, people from uh, uh, Susie Orman, uh, to David Bach, and uh, you talked to Mr. Ramsey, Dave Ramsey. I, I did. Yeah, we've had his daughter on our show many times. She's Rachel Cruz, is a friend of mine and is a wonderful woman. And uh, anyway, we just, we, we try to have a good time. We try to mess with your head a little bit. And yeah. that's, that's our show. Nine years old. I was a financial planner for 16 years. And then after that, at age 40, I sold my financial planning business because I thought I wanted to be a school teacher. I wanted to teach kids about life. And I met my wife coaching uh, track and field. And I really wanted to go back in that. I've made good money. I had enough money to do whatever I wanted to do. So sold my business, went back to school to become a teacher, figured out very quickly that that probably wasn't going to be for me. Not that I 
dislike teaching, but in the US, you spend a lot of time fighting administration and being able to teach the way that you want to. So I decided I'd start this money blog in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. And after a, a few months, I realized I was making as much money as a first year teacher and I was having a blast. And my kids were in high school at that time. So I was able to be home for them and, and kind of be a little bit of stay at home dad, which was nice. And uh, a couple of years later, we started the podcast and and it's all downhill from and, there. Yeah. And you haven't looked back since. And now you've <laughs> just clocked over 1000 episodes. So congratulations on that. That's uh, quite an achievement. And you may have seen it around the uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I see it in the Australian section. It pops uh, up and down, around and around uh, every other week. So Vince Scully, who's from Life Show, who's a regular on our show, uh, who I think you've met at FinCon, he loves it because it reminds him of 80s radio. That's what he tells me. <laughs> It is. It's like uh, it, we model it after the the late night talk shows in America. So we model it after like Jimmy Fallon or and some people call it like morning drive 80s radio. Uh, yeah. We have fun. He's been on our show, by the way. We talk board games sometimes, and his board That's game right. is is super fun. He sent me one and we, we chatted about it. And uh, in fact, it's funny. We were playing it just a week ago. Well, there you go. Hello, Vince. And Vince is a listener of My Millennial Money as well as a regular guest. So, how about that? Now, Joe, uh, what would you say are your top three money lessons uh, that you've learned over your career as a financial planner, uh, as a career, as a, a podcaster, talking to hundreds of people and really just being in this money world day in, day out? Hit us with your top bangers. <laughs> All right. Well, well, the first, the, the first one, Glenn, and this is one that took me a long time to learn. But, but, and I'm going to start off with my most cerebral one and work to to down to more technical stuff. But the but the very first one for me is this respect for money that I did not have when I was in my 20s. I let so much money slip through my hands, and I also thought that that money was a game where I had to, you know, I have me on one side of the table and somebody else on the other side. And I know it's an eye roll if I say have a win-win lifestyle, but I do think that having gratitude for people in my life and being somebody that gives, the more I give, the more I get. And I feel like there's abundance in, in giving and in respect. So instead of my 20s kind of takey lifestyle, it was all about me and all about what I could do for Joe. I found when I turned that around and I was, how can I help somebody else and do more for other people? And then when somebody hands me a dollar for something I did, I have respect for that money. And I think hard about, I traded time for money. What am I going to do with that money respectfully? Man, I was better. I was so, so much better. So that's kind yeah. of, you know, that's a heady one, but that's, that's where I start. From there, it was, you don't have to redefine the wheel all the time. You don't have to, you don't have to create everything yourself. I was so, 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 so cocky about my ability to do everything and to learn everything that I didn't want to attach myself to other people. I didn't want to learn. I did, Glenn, you're not going to teach me anything. I'm going to take care of this myself. I'm going to learn it just me. And that was horrible. And what I've learned now and through a, a bunch of mistakes was that the quicker that I attach myself to the right who, the easier it is to get the how, right? So, and ask yourself that question. If you ever ask yourself the question, how should I do something? Instead, ask yourself, who knows how to do that? 
That's mm-hmm. who is such a better question than how. That's my second one. And my third one is automate. If I can automate my savings and automate the 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 small decisions, I can focus all day on the big stuff that actually is going to improve my life or or make things better for me and my family. I don't want to have to take out money and put it in my my uh, brokerage account, you know. I want or my savings. I want to have that automatically go where it goes and I'll focus my entire day on stuff that I enjoy that is much more profitable. I think those for me are the big 3. I love that, but I'm also disappointed, Joe, because you didn't say you've <laughs> got to find the best interest rate and the best MER for an investment. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was number four. Oh, number, sure, sure. Num- yeah, number four on my list is this, is that a 0.07 uh, expense ratio is not good enough if you can find 0.04. Cause if I can save that 30 cents by getting a lower expense ratio, my are you ugh, nothing? There's there's nothing I rant about more, Glenn, than mm. than that. Uh, don't get me wrong; expenses and controlling expenses are important, but it's like dragon number four. Yeah, yeah, totally. What advice would you have for somebody in their twenties just setting up their life? Would it be referred to the first question I asked you, or see <laughs> <laughs> number one? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's that automate piece, don't you? Yeah, totally. And that's that's so funny because every time I talk with you, I'm like, oh, dear God, I'm talking to me in 15 years' time. Like, you just remind <laughs> me so much of me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm in for except, a treat. Except we're the same age. How does that happen? <laughs> yeah, <No>, I- <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking, am I the older one or are you the younger one? But no, I, I totally agree. Like, even like I've got an ebook and there's a big quote in the front that it says like, you can't command wealth if you don't learn to respect it. And it's just so fascinating that that was your first thing that you said. And I look back and it's like, gosh, I wasted so much bloody money in my twenties because I didn't have an automated system. And because I'm a spender by nature, the money will come in and it will go out. Oh, that's not the issue. (laughs) It's like, that's easy to spend it, uh, but it is actually setting up that structure and getting some automation. That's why I don't like rules of thumb. It's exactly why, Glenn, what you just said resonates with me so much because we hear this rule of thumb that you should carry cash and not use a credit card or a debit card because credit spends more for more people. Credit spends more quickly than than cash. And I can see that happening because you take out your credit card, you swipe it. You have no idea how much money that was and maybe you track it, maybe you don't. But cash, you can you you, you can see it go away. I'm the exact opposite. I am totally the opposite. If I have if I have $10 in my wallet at any point, I can guarantee it will be gone by the end of the day. It will mm-hmm. be gone. And every time I swipe my credit card, I personally feel guilty. So, you know, we talk about you hear these rules of thumb all the time. You see them online, and I think uh, so many of those just don't work for me personally that it's a lot more about know know yourself. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I've only been podcasting for four years now ish. And you're still like a grandpa compared to most podcasters. Yeah, I am. But it's like I've in my own kind of personality and the way I do the show, like everyone out there listening, if you're sitting on a bus in Brisbane and you're commuting home, like Glenn James, Joe, like 
we are not your gurus. We are an encouragement. We are a weekly check-in. We are a halftime coming off the um, field, have some oranges and get back out there. Like, you know, there is everything I teach. It's not the way. It's not the system. It's a way that mostly that I do it and it's a system that I use and it's it's actually owning uh, what works for you. I think though it's great to start with a system like yours, plug it in, realize it's not going to be 100% and then tweak, right? Yeah. And that's like, so I do the Glenn James spending plan and sure. my whole goal is for people to use that spreadsheet, use the videos, get the base, base load type of concepts, then outgrow it. I just watch cat videos. Do you? <laughs> oh, right? uh, I, I used to have this better? app and it was a cat app and you'd take a photo and you'd like stick a cats on people. Uh, it was really cool. <laughs> but it's so funny, Joe. Like I honestly, I, I don't have a credit card and I, because I'm the opposite. If I do have one, oh, it's, it's a wild time. It's like, for me, it's because I'm generous by nature. If I was out for dinner, I'd just be like, oh, hey, everyone, I'll grab this. And like, it just gets out of control for me. So that's why I don't have one. So it's just playing to, as Oprah would say, your truth. Your truth. Amen. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of your truth in your life with your money, have you been one to pay extra off the mortgage or to invest on the side and why? Well, it's, and it's funny because we've been going over this uh, a lot lately. In my life, I always invest separately uh, because of the fact that I trust the financial markets and that over long periods of time, historically, if you're a diversified investor, you're going to beat that interest rate. Also, when I was a financial planner, I would do that with people. And what was fascinating was was what I saw with them when I was in the early years of my mortgage, when I, when I did pay extra, by the way, to my mortgage. And what I saw was when I would, when I would use a strategy with a client, and these were the more aggressive people I worked with, they would pile money into this opposite fund instead of paying extra. And when we got to the point, Glenn, that they had enough to pay off the house, guess how many people actually paid off the house with that money? I don't know, the three that listened to Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody. Nobody yeah. paid off the house. What some people did do was they attached uh, uh, the payment to that money so they could have that make the payment. But it really is more, I realized then in that, in that time that it was much more about the freedom to do whatever the heck I wanted to do. So having that flexibility for me personally was great. Now, working with people that were sometimes multi-multi-millionaires, I saw that very wealthy people paid off their debt. And by and large, they had a healthy respect for debt. They would use leverage sometimes in very interesting ways. But by and large, they were all about not borrowing money from other people um, unless they were using a leverage situation like we're talking about here. So for me personally, that's what I did. I don't know that that's right for everybody though. I do think for some people, they're just going to take that money out and blow it. So it's far better to pay off the mortgage early than to do nothing. Yeah. There is so much financial noise out there and, you know, we both contribute to it. And that's why you've just got to get, you know, personal advice to your situation. Like I glean encouragement from different stories. Uh, but so like I've never borrowed money 
to invest in equities because I don't have the stomach for it with the borrowed money, but I've got investment properties that are leveraged. So again, that's just my situation. I found very similarly on on my end. I have never done uh, borrowed money to to put that money in the stock market. I've interviewed people that have done that. The, the, uh, Bill Perkins, who's a very uh, popular uh, poker player, wrote a book called Die Broke. And when I interviewed him, he said the, the, the quickest way to get to multimillionaire status is to find something that you firmly believe, leverage everything you have against it so that you add just tons of money into that position, into that bet, and don't be wrong. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and that's the, that's the key, right? Yeah. And there was, when he told me that he had that long pause as well, just don't be, use a lot of leverage and don't, I, I don't, I'm like you though, I don't have the stomach for that at yeah. all. Don't have, I didn't get involved in, there have been some, you know, speculative stocks here in the US lately around Robinhood, the, the Robinhood app, and a, a lot of people that are just betting using leverage and options to do things. And uh, so I took a little bit of my money and and decided I was going to do it. Mm. I couldn't do it. I invested instead in General Motors. I took all the money I was going to do that with and I put it into GM because I think they have a good, uh, uh, I think they have a cool platform for electric vehicles now and autonomous vehicles. I think they're competitive. I think they're kind of forgotten because everybody's looking at sexier companies than GM. Uh, so I instead did that and did no leverage and I sleep great at night. Yeah, it's funny. Like, so Tesla are going bonkers uh, with the stock price and the market cap. And I think the size of, I think I was uh, reading the other day here in Australia, the size of Tesla is the top 10 companies in Australia listed on our exchange. Isn't like that it's, crazy? It's just mind boggling. I'm more of a fan of Tesla, not for the cars, but for the uh, battery tech and the the road automation type autopilot tech. Do you think in terms of cars, they might have a first mover disadvantage uh, once the incumbents like you GM and Hyundai or however you guys pronounce it um, out of Korea and all these Toyotas of the world, once they get up to speed with the electric, because, you know, these Toyota and the GMs of the world, they're not doing loss leading stuff. Like they're selling cars at a profit. And I think yeah. once battery tech and all that, like I'm just, you know, because I mean, I'm ranting because the everyday Australian and probably the everyday American can't afford a freaking Tesla because they're right. 80, 120 grand. So <laughs> it's like, I'm very interested uh, in electric cars, but- I, I see the incumbents really owning the mass market. It's funny. A lot of people uh, that I've talked to lately are interested in Ford for that reason. But I also, reading Elon Musk's biography, he, he talks a lot. And I also firmly believe that he has a different advantage, Glenn, which is that everything is made by Tesla. When you look at my play, General Motors, so much of the GM car is still outsourced that for uh, Tesla to upgrade their fleet, do an electronics package upgrade. They press one button, every button, the whole thing is made by them. 
and they can then make the whole car better. General Motors doesn't have the ability to do that. And they have these legacy factories that they've retrofitted that they have to use. So they have this unnecessary overhead. Now they've cut a ton of their overhead, as you know, uh, uh, over the past 10 years, but they still have a lot of overhead that Tesla does not have. So I think, I think while there may be a first mover disadvantage later for the foreseeable future, that first mover advantage, I think it's a big advantage where they are until companies, you know, like Hyundai, GM, uh, Toyota uh, catch up. Yeah. And I guess my overarching comments is I've got no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to Tesla or motor cars. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take that with the uh, five bags of salt, if you will. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> it's actually funny. In uh, I think in 2018 or 19, I did a podcast episode and someone asked about Tesla. And I said, look, I personally don't buy shares in a company that doesn't make any money. Uh, so- <laughs> <laughs> but who knew? I mean, who knew? Yeah. For the longest time, Amazon didn't make any money, right? And they kept borrowing and borrowing and borrowing money. And look at Amazon today. But yeah, but what happened to the other 199 companies in the same situation like no one's heard of them so it's just yeah yeah, everyone loves a unicorn story don't they absolutely so what part of the states are you from i'm from uh, michigan in the uh middle part of the country boo why is that (laughs) i i I got friends in ohio oh well here's okay Okay. Well, hold on. So my parents and my sister live in Ohio and I did not go to the University of Michigan. I do not like the University of Michigan because I went to Michigan State University. And so at Michigan State, we are, we also hate uh, those people in Ann Arbor. So yeah, yeah no, no, go. not, not for us, but nice job on the American reference there. Good yeah. You word. like that? that Actually my, uh, my flex. best friend just moved. I uh, dropped him at the airport uh, two days ago to Columbus uh, because he married an American girl and they got stuck here uh, last year during COVID. So they've just left. So. Just left. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. So yeah, I'm from a little town between Chicago and Detroit called Kalamazoo, Michigan. Right. Uh, a, a famous American big band guy had a song called Kalamazoo back in the 1940s. And, uh, and I now live in Texarkana, Texas, right on the Texas-Arkansas border. So uh, Northeast Texas. Wow. So you're enjoying the, uh, the tax rates. You don't have to move there like everyone else. You're already there. I know it's great. No, no state tax here. Um, much, much better. Mm, get that dose of, <laughs> you know, though I don't, I, I don't play that game. We talk about that game a lot on the show is that I believe people should live in a spot that inspires them in a spot that they, that they really like. And frankly, the tax rate difference, even though it's better, hasn't played into it. Maybe it should, and maybe I could be happy other places, but I, I just want to live in a place that inspires me. And if it costs more to live there, then I factor that into my plan. Yeah. I actually had Pat Flynn on the show a couple of weeks ago and he, he was basically the same thing as like, well, no, I, I, I do what I do to live where I want to live and the money's secondary. I think it's just been exacerbated that, you know, if you're getting paid a hundred million dollars from Spotify uh, and you move to Texas, uh, Texas will give you a free house worth $10 million. Like. <laughs> That's that's why we moved back here uh, is because of the podcast and they gave us a free house. <laughs> that's right. You heard it here yes. first, everyone. Stacking yes. Benjamins, huge deal. <laughs> if huge. we could if we could get that Stacking Benjamins crowd into Texas, that would make the state economy hum. All six of us. Love it. 
We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back and we will talk about your questions. And there's a question coming up on pets. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, guys, we are back. Maddie Ogden, she wrote a, uh, a question in and actually met Maddie and her sister at the uh, live event that we did a few weeks back on the Gold Coast. So, g'day, ladies. Hey, guys, I absolutely adore Triple M. I listen to you guys religiously. Currently, I'm a student attempting to save for a house. Currently, my partner and I nearly have 10% of our house deposit saved. Although this is our goal... All I want is a golden retriever. What is the best time to buy a dog and what do you need to have to be financially ready for one? E.g., how much do you need to have in savings, uh, in a like in a savings account for a dog and is pet insurance worth it? Uh, do you have a dog in your life? Me? Are you talking to me? Yeah. And, <laughs> and don't talk about your producer, Steve, all right? <laughs> Steve, is, Steve is a wonderful dog. D-A-W-G. Yes, dog. exactly. Yes, yeah. Exactly. A good kind of dog. No, we have a cat named Cooper who thinks he's a dog because unlike most cats who are the, uh, you know, prince or princess of the entire house, owns the place, ignores the human... Our cat, Cooper, is not like that. He follows you around like a dog. He wants to hang out where the party's going on. He, uh, We give him his own chair at dinner. Uh, so when we're eating, he sits up on a chair next to us, can't get on the table, but he's very well trained. So no, no, no dog for me. Mm. But I guess financially 101, uh, I think there's a couple of things from Maddie's question here. Um, I like the fact that, yes, we are um, saving for a home, and that's awesome. And uh, I would assume uh, her partner is working as well because they've got a, a deposit saved. Um, but this goals thing, it's like a golden retriever would actually mean the world more than a house almost. So within that, on your financial journey, when do you think it would be the best time to buy a dog? I would, going back to my old financial planner days, Glenn, I would ask Maddie this question. Which one makes you happier, a house without a dog or a dog that you pay for, but that means you get the house later? Would you rather have the dog without the house for a while or the house without the dog? Which one, which one do you see yourself? Because it really, I mean, this is, this is much more about the importance of the goal, isn't it? And taking the two goals and saying, which one means more to me? And I also found, by the way, for people that could not answer that question, you know what we do? I would take a coin out. If, if, if Maddie and I were sitting across a table, I'd say, okay, you can't figure it out. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to flip a coin and I'd take a coin and I'd flip it and I'd hold it and I'd say, okay, uh, heads, it's, it, you get the dog, tails, you don't get the dog till after the house. And then I would ask her, which one do you hope it is? Because every single time when that coin was at the top, you make up your mind. And you yeah. know what it is. So mm. that would be, my, I don't have an answer. I would ask her to ask herself that question first. Because yeah. if it, personally, if it's me, if it's me, I think it would be the dog. Get the, yeah. the dog clearly makes her happy. Get the dog and then the, and then the house. I, I would probably say um, you're not 
it's kind of like children. So my view on the whole children thing, uh, just from a financial standpoint, like I don't have kids, so I can't speak uh, to that exactly. If you're, you know, got consumer debt everywhere, credit cards, afterpay, zip pay, bloody owing everyone money and your life's a financial mess and you can kind of clean it up within 18 months, two years, it's probably worth just doing that first. But if, you, if you've got a significant amount of debt and it is going to take five years to clean up, well, you're not putting life on hold for that long, uh, I don't believe. But again, the dog thing, it can add so much value to your life. So it is a judgment call. I probably wouldn't have extra money in my emergency fund for the dog. Uh, I would just, you know, it's budget ongoing, uh, workout, speak to your vet first and say, look, how many times do I need to see you a year? How much is it going to cost? And you just cash flow the ongoing expenses of the dog into your uh, monthly budget. My view on pet insurance, it's pretty agnostic. Uh, me personally, if I had a fully funded emergency fund and I purchased a little dog, uh, I'm not getting pet insurance because I'll just take that risk myself. But, you know, the first couple of years of pet insurance, while they're pups and growing up, it could be 50 bucks a month. If you want to do that, knock yourself out. So I think like everything, just be pragmatic and uh, ask other people what they did, the experiences they had, and talk to your vet about the pet insurance companies that will pay claims and how easy it is to get a claim. Mm, That's the important part nobody talks about, Glenn. Everybody Mm. asks, what does it cost? You're referencing, what do I actually get? Exactly. Is the bastard going to pay when (laughs) the dog's liver fails and it's $10,000? Yes, absolutely. And nobody better to ask either than the vet because the vet deals with those. Absolutely. Great idea. On you, Maddie. And I'm looking forward to you calling the dog Glenny J. Uh, David Turong, I think that's your last name. Uh, This this might be a really easy one-line answer, Joe. Is there a hard and fast rule for knowing what percentage of my net worth should be in ETFs, cash, and other asset classes, e.g. property? Geez, can you rewind 15 years and be a financial advisor again for one minute, Joe? <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, there is. But it's well, different. As much for- as possible in every category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that solves all your problems, Glenn. Your problems yeah. are over. Just have as much and all. It, it, it is, uh, I love this uh, book, Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. Stephen Covey, who wrote that book, says something that has helped me through my entire career, which is begin with the end in mind. And the reason for that, in this case, Glenn, as you very well know, every investment has an appropriate growing season. So I grew up in farm country and you would plant corn at a certain time. You'd then harvest it at a certain time. It's the same way with investments. And so if your goal is 10 years or longer, historically, as you also know, Glenn, to two types of things, stocks and real estate have beaten the heck out of inflation. So those are the best places to be. For shorter term money than that, you just do the same thing. Look at what has been most appropriate for that for that time. So I would begin with the gold, David, and work backward to what what's going to historically have gotten me there uh, where I where I want to go. And that that piece we don't know, right? But for me, that's the rule of thumb. Mm. If, if, if there is a rule of thumb, it's begin with the end in mind, and that will dictate uh, how you come up with your asset mix. And I would probably say, just from a practical point of view, uh, yes, 
you know, people say to me, Glenn, do you like shares or property? Uh, because one's evil and one's good. I'm like, well, I like both. So back off. But practically speaking, I would not worry about trying to build a share portfolio if you do want to have a property, because it's going to be harder to get a property uh, deposit together because you can't cash flow a property like you can cash flow shares and ETFs. So if you do want to have property and you do want to have shares, perhaps it is worth getting that investment property first. That's a big rock. And then cash flow uh, shares and investment. But, you know, you'll probably like this, Joe, when I was uh, in business and, you know, pre-retirees would come in. And I've told this joke a million times on the podcast, but I love telling it myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Bear with me, everyone. (laughs) I I used to say, hey, guys, I've worked out the exact amount of money you need for retirement to the dollar. And they'd lean in and look like, what is it? And I'm like, as much as possible. Ta-da. Ta-da. So, yeah, there's no hard and fast rule for your net worth other than you want more each year than the previous year, I would imagine, and uh, diversification. Final question. Joe, could you do us the honour of reading the question from Bonnie? Oh, I love Bonnie's question. What is the best way to set up for future wealth when by nature you're a person who can't settle in one place? I've just turned 34, want to grow my wealth, invest in something. All I catch is I'm single and the idea of settling down in one place makes me feel claustrophobic. I'm also not waiting around for a man to appear and either way, a man is not a plan. Yeah, well, firstly, I'd say to Bonnie, what up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are you telling Bonnie? Well, we just talked about for long-term goals, shares and property, the two things that got you there. Glenn, for her, she just, for me, eliminated property uh, because of the hair and ca- uh, care and handling. I almost said hair and candling, mm. <laughs> care and handling of that property and the work that you might have to put it. I mean, you could have a property manager maybe, but, uh, but then that ends up uh, diluting the amount of money that you're going to make. So for her, flexibility is the thing. So that says to me, large enough emergency fund. Uh, uh, first, right? And a good budget so that she makes sure that she doesn't get into trouble while she's doing her uh, traveling, which sounds fantastic. Um, But then flexibility, you know, uh, uh, a lot of the time here in the States, we will use tax shelters for a lot of things. Bonnie may want to use tax shelters for some things, but make sure she keeps some money in a spot where she doesn't have to worry about all kinds of rules to get at it. Right. So um, that's, that's my thought. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, we might be limited with um, the tax shelter in Australia uh, because we've ultimately got um, two tax shelters, one being our superannuation, which is equivalent of 401k or Roth and yeah. all that stuff. And the other one maybe being an investment bond, which you really need to hold for at least 10 years. And you really want an income uh, that you would have a tax rate, marginal tax rate at over 30%. But I... Yeah, I I don't think she can do anything wrong to break what she wants to do other than making sure her rent is probably well under 30% of her net take home. Mm, So it's okay to be zipping around and living in this town for a year and that town for a year and it's all good. But you really need to make sure, Bonnie, that you are building wealth for your future because 
if a time does come for you to settle down, you certainly uh, want to make sure that you're financially successful and set up, which is the same rule for anyone, even if they have settled down. So we're not, um, we're just being extra intentional. Uh, we're being agile with our budget. We're not locking into, you know, fixed contract MBN plans and stuff like that for our house or uh, any of that. But I probably would say, Joe, if under the right circumstances, if her risk profile and mindset was there, there might be an argument uh, to leverage into residential property again, if she wants to put up with the drama of being a, a long distance landlord. I and think that's that. that is really the hard part, and I think the uh, that will require systems. So if Bonnie feels like she has uh, good systems where she can manage it from afar, there are people I know that live in, uh, there's a gentleman I know that lives in Southeast Asia and owns, uh, I believe a hundred properties in Memphis, Tennessee, um, a mm. hundred different properties. And he does it from half a world away. Mm. So it, it can be done, but so he's not walking in Memphis. He is not walking. I think he's walking in Hanoi. (laughs) It doesn't have the same ring to it. It does not. It's a whole different song. Yeah. Uh, But fascinating to see that it can be, you're right. It can be done. I just think that that, uh, that, that requires uh, just another level of care to know what you're doing before you go deep Mm -hmm. into it. And, and the same thing, like, you know, we all get these different questions about our situation, but there are some concepts that still apply to everyone's situation. Don't spend too much on housing and accommodation. Keep out of consumer debt. Don't spend all your money on your car. Like it's this basic stuff that we still need to apply to our own situation. Well, and I love this idea of not spending more than 30% on your housing because especially for Bonnie, if she's, I mean, you know, you, you, you have, have uh, traveled and when you're traveling, you feel like everything is different. I can spend money that I normally wouldn't spend if I'm at home. I'll, I'll, it's a little, it's much more playful. I can maybe get into trouble and I'll figure mm. it out later. But if Bonnie's going to do this all the time, I love what you said about, uh, making sure that she's still building wealth. Like, mm. yes, if you're going to travel a lot, it, you need to, Bonnie needs to realize that the road then is, is her home. And, uh, mm. and on, unfortunately, the, uh, the rules that I use when I go on a holiday are a little different. Like, you know, if it's a hundred, if it's a hundred miles away from my house, it's all fat free, Glenn. I don't know if you know yeah. that, but that's, that's my rule. If I my travel, is, it's all fat free anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, but if I travel all the time, I don't think that rule is going to apply anymore or yeah. I will be the size of a house. Yeah. So I, I don't think you can break it, Bonnie, keep good financial habits up. Uh, and if, if need be, seek uh, some professional advice and, you know, you might be uh, couch surfing in different towns and, and doing all that stuff or living somewhere for only six months. And, you know, your net income on rent could be under 20%. So you might have a lot of money and you could really set yourself up for future Bonnie. Well, we might uh, let you go, Joe. What's the time there at the moment? It is uh, 6 p.m. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think I remembered when I scheduled this. I'm like, oh, no, he'll, he'll be able to do five to six. 
Yeah, no, not bad. It was well because we got we, you and I met online ahead of time, just to yeah. pull the curtain back a little bit. You were drinking tea, I and was? I was, re- and I was ready for some wine. <laughs> there you go. Are you uh, white or red? Uh, I'm a little bit of both. If it's just me, uh, I will go for a glass of red wine most of the time. A, a good Cabernet, which is interesting because. I judge wine much more. I don't know great wine, but I know standard deviation being a longtime money guy. Yeah, and yeah. I know that like a Pinot has a huge standard deviation. It can be it can be way better than a Cab would be, but it can also be god awful. Where mm. generally, what I learned was that if I order a Cab, a Cab is a Cab is a Cab, and mm. uh, so a Cabernet is good. Although your Australian Shiraz. Well, and that's what I was going to say. If, um, I, I really don't know if I'm going to get over to the States this year uh, because the Australian borders are still closed. Uh, right. Are you going to FinCon in Austin? I am going to go to FinCon in Austin, assuming that it that it, uh, it goes happens. Ahead. Yeah. yeah and so, also a podcast movement in Nashville in August. Yeah. So if the borders are open, I might try and get over there. And if I do, I'll bring you up a nice bottle of Shiraz. Oh, you're the man. You are the man. I, what can I say? I uh, I live to give. <laughs> that that is the Glenn James mantra. I live it to is. give. That's good. We we open this. You asked me about giving and about gratitude, mm. and it's we are spiritual brothers, my friend. Love it, Joe C. Hi, thank you so much. You can check out Stacking Benjamins the podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast, and uh, we might have you on another time, Joe, to be my guest host. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a ton, Glenn. This was a blast. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. I run a money podcast and a lot of people are like, wow, you must know so much about the markets, investing and all that stuff. Well, the truth is I have some secret sauce. Every day I use the Australian Financial Review app as part of my subscription and it just keeps my finger on the pulse with what's happening around the world in Australia in relation to companies, politics, all the stuff. So you can also be like me. Well, you probably don't want to be like me. However, you can also get access to all the stuff that I use to prepare podcasts and keep my finger on the pulse. So if this type of analysis and information is something that you want to plug into your life, you might be thinking, what can I do? Well, you can invest in your success with a subscription to the Financial Review. Subscribe during the end of financial year sale to save 50% or more for your first three months. Visit afr.com forward slash subscribe. That's afr.com 
forward slash subscribe. The offer ends on 30th of June. Terms and conditions apply.